Welcome to this latest edition of the Food Systems Podcast with me, Mark Titterington. I'll be your host for the next half an hour or so. And today we have with us uh, Guy Zeev, Professor in Socio-Environmental Systems at the School of Geography at the University of Leeds and coordinator of the European Horizon Research Project, BestMap. Um, BestMap is a horizon research project, Guy, that I understand has analysed the current impact of agro-environmental policies in Europe. Um, I know on the 7th of February, under the umbrella of the Forum for the Future of Agriculture, um, you'll be presenting these findings um, through a conference in Brussels. Um, I want to start, if I may, Guy, by by asking you just how effective you think the common agriculture policy is or has been in achieving its environmental and biodiversity goals. Thank you, Mark, and thank you for having me. I think it's well known that uh, the effectiveness of the common agricultural policy um, to a- achieve its environmental and biodiversity goals is, is a quite a complex and contested issue. And there's been some positive notes. Uh, you know, in the last uh, COP reform, there's been significant shift towards uh, more sustainability funding with at least 35% of the COP funds to allocated to climate biodiversity and environmental measures. Um, there's also specific schemes that pe- that countries have been putting to directly target environmental improvements, um, the, including environmental and climatic measures, which is what BestMap have been looking at, organic farming support, payments for landscape features, uh, etc. And also the, uh, the new CAP allows states uh, to be more flexible in how they design their environmental policies, especially with the idea of uh, one-year eco-schemes, which is something that BestMap has looked at. On the other hand, there's been issues with the CAP. Um, we know about uh, problems because of the direct payments that are based on farm size that may uh, unintentionally incentivize more intensive production over environmentally friendly practices. The effectiveness of the CAP in different regions is varying, and also there is limited adoption of environmental schemes. During the project of BestMap, we've done interviews with uh, more than 100 farmers. And we, in most cases, those interviews have mirrored those issues. We found that only a moderate percentage adopt agrometer schemes. In some countries, like the UK, there are only a few options that are the majority of uptake, and those are not necessarily the best environmentally, but more of the low-hanging fruit those that were easiest to implement. And in some case studies, the farmers have been found to be implementing things that they were already implement, thinking of implementing before and didn't get the funding for, which questions the question of the additionality of those payments. We also found uh, that uh, the farmers choose the least productive land to implement environmental schemes, which might not be the places where the most uh, environmental or ecological benefit is. What we have done uh, in BestMap beyond those interviews is to look at uh, modeling uh, of the decision-making of of farmers. Uh, This was done with agent-based modeling. And those highlight the same, uh, some of those problems of the CAP, that the adoption was low, the models were reproducing that, but also that the potential is there to increase the uptake if you reduce the time of the contract or you provide more advice, or you reduce the bureaucracy or the reporting requirements. We've uh, complemented all of that work with biophysical 
modeling, trying to look at uh, uh, farmland beds and the, the biodiversity. Um, we found that with the good ecological data that we had, different farmland beds reacted uh, differently to agrometer schemes. So although there is a small statistically significant benefit to the agrometer schemes, it's not necessarily beneficial for all species. And, and when you look at other ecosystem functions or ecosystem services or public goods, whatever you, you call them, the status quo adoption of fundamental schemes have a benefit, a small benefit at landscape scale, which uh, reflects the problems of, of the CAP. It's small adoption, small area that is actually implementing those schemes and it could moderate ecological benefit or, or ambition of those schemes. When I look at the the, the study itself, um, Guy, um, it, it it looks to be perhaps one of the most innovative um, studies that's been undertaken. Certainly timely, as we start to think about future direction of the um, of, of the CAP. Perhaps you could just summarize in in a little bit more detail the methodology that you've employed in in BestMap in terms of going about it and, and and any other additional insights that you've got from the way that you went about gathering the information. Thank you. Um, yeah, so BestMap used what we call a mixed method approach. So we've been combining social science interviews, um, surveys, um, together with data analysis uh, and, and modeling. At the beginning of the project, we went out, uh, this was pre-pandemic, We've been interviewing uh, in the five case study areas that we had, one in the Humber region in the UK, one in South Moravia in the Czech Republic, um, one uh, in the Mulder region in, in Germany, one is uh, in, the, in Serbia, and one is Catalonia in Spain. Hmm. And in each one of those, we went and interviews far, interviewed farmers, asking them quite deep uh, questions about their adoption of agrimental schemes. Why are they doing it? Where are they doing it? Why are they not doing it for those that are not? Um, and that was a very productive uh, exercise with a lot of, of learnings and a couple of publications came out of that, that uh, interview campaign. We then went on to do some surveys um, in some cases, national survey in the UK. Um, in other cases, it was more targeted surveys. And those included uh, both uh, closed form questions as, as well as what we call the choice experiment, where you're giving farmers multiple options. Would you have chosen this particular scheme or this particular scheme or this particular scheme? And through this exercise, you can learn what kind of preferences they have. You know, why are they choosing a particular scheme? giving the particular, let's say, length or, or level of reporting or payment level that you are providing. So that was an exercise we've done, and that's the social science component of, of the empirical work. We got a lot of data from uh, uh, member states, um, including what is called the Land Parcel Identification System, or LPIS, um, LPS is a system that combines all the data that farmers have to report when they are applying for um, funding from direct payments. So, for example, you know the polygons, which are all the farms of your farm, um, and you know what kind of crops they grow, you know what kind of agroenvironmental measures they implement, what kind of ecological focus areas they implement, which is related to the, to the green financing. 
getting that information was quite challenging. I must say this took a lot of time. Um, and it was one of the difficulties we had in the project because some of the member states did not provide it with data agreement that we could share it even within the project. So we had to kind of change the way we work to actually work around those data sharing agreements. And there's a lot of problems with homogeneity of this data, which is quite difficult uh, to com compare different countries and also to link to other data sources. But we can use this to do analysis and show that, for example, large farms are, are adopting agroalimentary schemes much more than, than smaller farms, possibly because they have the main power and the resources to employ somebody to apply and put forward the paperwork, which is quite time consuming. We then move on to uh, build uh, and calibrate by physical models. These are computer models of uh, what's happening uh, on the landscape scale and the farm scale from the adoption of those agronometer schemes. So we've built a model for uh, farmland birds. That was our biodiversity component. This uses a lot of uh, point observations of where we know there were observations of a particular bird species. And we use all the data about the management that we got from the LPS data. And that was uh, one of the first efforts that we could do it at scale at such high resolution. We modeled the effect of water quality, specifically how much nitrogen and how much phosphate would go into the water streams because of uh, the agricultural production and how the different agronometer schemes might change that. We looked at food production and lastly, but not least, uh, we looked at soil carbon. How will doing different management of the land will sequester carbon from CO2, basically, from the atmosphere into the ground, thus helping us mitigate the issues of climate change? I already mentioned uh, that we use the individual farm-level agent-based models. These are uh, simulations of the decision-making of the farmers. And to kind of put all of that together and scale it up, we have uh, worked a very innovative way of using models that were developed on the case study level, one of those five, and then applying them at pan-European scale, finding out how to extrapolate or transform uh, those uh, into other areas and what is the limit of that transferability. Because you can just take a model from the Humber region and apply it you know, anywhere in Europe and vice versa. It just doesn't work. So we had uh, quite a lot of work done on that uh, transferability analysis. Um, and that uses data from the Fund Accountancy Data Network, FADM. And again, uh, something that is was quite hard to get our hands on and quite hard to, to process because of limitations of, of this uh, data I and mean, data privacy of FADM. But overall, we've kind of combined all of the above uh, which I think is one of the, you know, first projects to have done that kind of uh, massive exercise, you know, combining those different methodologies to look at the question of adoption of agronometer scheme and the effects on the environment. So looking looking towards the future, um, Guy, what 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 changes or improvements would you like to see in European agriculture policies to to perhaps better support both farmers and the environment? I think first, there is not enough incentive for farmers to adopt those policies. And I, mean, I simply said, there's, there's a lot enough money in doing it. 
I think there's a, one of the major um, ways this uh, the whole uh, financial incentives was constructed is what's called uh, post-incurred uh, income foregone. And that was basically saying that, you know, you can only pay farmers this, the amount of money they're losing by doing the governmental schemes. Now, that is some, uh, some heritage of uh, the World Trade Organization agreement uh, on agriculture. And, and to me, that's uh, something that, you know, while it, it, it has good intentions in terms of, of this, you know, WTO trying to avoid distortion of trade, perhaps when we are talking about environmental schemes and environmental measures, you know, might be a, the wrong way to go around it. You know, and you know, what we are trying to think, especially in the UK, is what we call public uh, money for public goods. Can we actually pay farmers for the public goods they're providing, and not base it perhaps on on you know how much they lost by adopting those schemes? Mm. I think there are obviously other reasons. You know, the, uh, the agricultural schemes in many places are too complex. Mm-hmm. In the UK, we had uh, something uh, called Landscape Enterprise Network, which we studied in a different project, and that's uh, more of a private scheme, if you like, that uh, one of the food companies in the UK is is paying its uh, farmers directly to implement very similar uh, agronomical measures as as the what we call the countryside stewardship but we see 16 fold increase in adoption rate because it's much simpler for farmers to actually adopt it much less risk to adopt it um, much less bureaucracy there's also in general not enough advice not enough support for farmers to choose the right thing um, I think this is something that is acknowledged and, and there are efforts to improve advice and support across Europe. And uh, perhaps uh, we need to be more ambitious in what schemes we implement. Mm. We've obviously got the, the conference coming up in, in Brussels at the start of next month on, on the 7th of February. Um, it's entitled Research Lessons to Inform the Future of CAP Reform. Um what can we expect from that? What are you What are you hoping to achieve? Yeah, so well, um, first I want to say that you know we are really happy to have this collaboration between BestMap and the Forum for the Future of Agriculture, and looking forward to having that event on in Brussels. This is uh, also working together with the other two sister projects of BestMap, uh, Agrico and MindStep. So all of those three projects were funded together under the same funding call of the European Commission. Hmm. All three projects have uh, in common one area, which is where we're trying to look at individuals and how individual farmers make decisions and the effect of that on the environment. So I think one thing to expect there is to hear from all of those three projects about that aspect of of individual decision-making, how about that be incorporated into modeling, into looking at the effect of policy and into policy design. From business perspective, we will be covering the results we got in the case studies. I've briefly touched upon some of those. We've written policy briefs that describe the effect of uh, agronomical schemes adoption in each of one of those five case studies. We'll have posters. Uh, on each of the case studies and English translation of those policy briefs. And we'll also be talking uh, about uncertainty. I think uncertainty is an important topic when we try to think about the impact of policy. 
So uh, the impact of uncertainty on modeling and on policy design. And at the end of our presentation from BestMap side, we'll have some suggestions uh, how to improve the CAP. I've briefly mentioned some of those. Uh, those will be led by a panel discussion of policymakers uh, about lessons on research and how do we inform the new CAP and the role of models in this uh, process. Um, like it is planned that the summary of the discussion and the recommendations from this will be presented also in the March annual conference for the future mm. forum of the future of agriculture. That will be really exciting to see what feedback comes out of that event. Yeah, well, likewise, um, Guy, we're, we're very much looking forward to to the event next month and also having you with us at our annual meeting. Um, as we bring our conversation today to to a close, um, perhaps a final question from from my side. Obviously, we have a, a year of change coming up um, at the EU level, the parliamentary elections in the late spring, early summer, um, followed by a new commission mandate. When when you think about the work that you've done um, and potentially a, a new agriculture commissioner coming in, what what are the key what's the key priority or key key priorities that they will need to focus on, both in facilitating this effective transition to a more resilient and sustainable food and agriculture system, but ensuring that that is inclusive of um restoring conserving restoring biodiversity mitigating the loss and taking on the challenge of climate change yeah i think this is, is quite a challenge um and uh, you know it, it's it's always difficult uh, for new commissions to get their teeth into uh into this and uh do it quickly i think it's also giving that the new this the new cup is well in policy uh, terms just behind the corner you know we need to actually start working on it now um so it will be really you know required to get up and running i think one of the challenges we have in general is that you know we lack some of the evidence we will always be lacking some of that evidence uh, so you know it would be great though if the commission promote more empirical and modeling work, like the work that we've done in BestMap. Um, also, you know, the kind of work that uh, we've done in all projects would not have led to uh, operational tools that we can run uh, by GRC or by the European Commission uh, in off the shelf at the European level. So there's uh, always uh, some different funding sources required to upscale and, and extend the work that any of those projects I mentioned, BestMap, Agrico, and MindStep have done to be able to be used by policymakers. But I think the DG Agri has to make up policy nonetheless, you know, despite having imperfect scientific basis to those decisions. I think, uh, you know, if they uh, allow more expert knowledge into the process, have more uh, local and more devolved policy making process, I think that will be a way to make sure that uh, the policies that they are uh, putting together observe more, uh, you know, are more robust and work better and more work more locally, which is something that is, is difficult to do when you are trying to make very large national scale policies. This is kind of counter to the centralization that has taken over, I think, a lot of policy areas. And of course, there is um, issues with devolved policies in terms of the cost of implementing it. but. You know, it is something that uh, potentially can be 
better and be, be actually reach more um, higher ecological benefits than what we are having today. You know, of course, promoting uh, more of the eco schemes. I mentioned that, uh, you know, these one-year schemes that uh, some of the member states have already uh, started putting together more innovation into it. Our studies and our results definitely show that this will be increasing the uptake. So that's something to push forward. And, and the other area that I think is really important is monitoring. You know, we should increase the effort we put into monitoring the effect of, of the agronometer schemes on the environment. It was really hard for BestMap and for the sister projects and then generally for policymakers to see and measure and model the impact of what we are doing and what we are spending a lot of money on uh, on the environment because in, in many cases we don't have the data to actually do that. Um, and that uh, all goes back to monitoring and lack of monitoring. So that's another area that it will be good for the new commissioner to push. Well, that's um, that, that, that's terrific, um, Guy. Thank you so much in, indeed. Um, I think it's fair to say that the discussion on <clears throat> on uh, the common agriculture policy, it, its future direction is is something that the forum will continue to engage with uh, in the in the months ahead. Um, also, in line with our own work on on how we fund and finance the transition, so that farmers and land managers are not only able to um to 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 make but also to sustain uh the transition that i think um many of us would like uh to see um professor Geisiv, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you congratulations on the research project um we're very much looking forward as i said uh to seeing you and um and the presentations on the 7th of february and again to to welcome um that back at the annual conference at the end of march Absolute pleasure. Thank you very much indeed for joining us, Guy. Thank you, Mark. You've been listening to another edition of the Food Systems Podcast brought to you by the Forum for the Future of Agriculture. Join us again next time.